0: Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Bugle, and from the Big it's Nathan Doyle. Stephen Kenny hasn't had the greatest of starts as an Irish manager. No wins in eight games puts him under a little bit of pressure going into the opening World Cup qualifying games against Serbia and Luxembourg. What he certainly didn't need on the run-up to any of these games was the announcement that Damien Duff had decided to walk away from his role in the backroom team. Dave, it's said that Duff's issue is not with Kenny but with the FAI and how they handled Videogate.
1: Yeah, like the general consensus is that he was very much uh, jokingly with a few of the mates who were like, he probably bloody did the video himself, but he was very much a part of it and approved of it. Um, and then the whole scenario after the match and how it came out, he was not best pleased. And no doubt certain things were said by the, the FAO in the organisation, which I'm sure he, he's very... Obviously been a player for so long, he knows very much the, the, like how, how they conduct business, which on many occasions very unprofessionally. So that seems to be the general consensus. He's very much a, a fan of Kenny and was very happy to be on board, but it's just weird that it came so long afterwards. That's what's just a bit strange is is there a potential other offer on the way with another club potentially that kind of sealed the deal for him to move on. That's what I'd be interested in another week or so if he's with someone else at that was that the final straw where he's like, Yeah I to he doing them working with this crowd. Um but yeah a little bit surprised considering the the length of time afterwards that it's just based on that it's a bit of a shame obviously with with kenny's with Kenny's tenure out starting as as topsy Tories as it is now it's just kind of against that little section like there's, there's his opening his open stint as manager and it's a it's a bit of a shame and a pity because by all accounts he's been highly regarded with the players and even the guys at Celtic and stuff so yeah we we it's hard to tell whether we're missing a great coach but um yeah. It's just a bit of a shame to kind of, as I said, to bookend the end of the start of the tenure.
0: Yes. Speaking on RT's Champions League coverage in August, Duff said his sole reason why he took the job was to work with Kenny, for whom he described as one of the few trustworthy people he knew in Irish football. He said... I never had an urge to go to work with the FAI, not even 1% of me. That's because of the things that have gone on in the past, which everyone knows about. It's all down to Stephen Kenny. Anyone that meets him knows straight away he's a trustworthy guy. You, you get that just straight away. There's not many trustworthy football people in Ireland, if I'm brutally honest. His passion, his vision, his plan just excites me. I want to help him. I want to help players. I want to help young players in this country. And that's why I've gotten back with Shelbourne as well. I'm back and you're stuck with me. Hopefully the FAI will be stuck with me for a while, but it's all down to Steve and Kenny. Now, Nathan, he glows about Steve and Kenny there and then he decides to jump ship.
2: Yeah, but like look, we already said, it's, it's obviously nothing to do with Stephen. Look, Damien Duff has made no secrets in the past that he's been very, uh, very outspoken and vocal in, to anybody that listened about the FBI in the past. And look, you can understand where he's come from and everything that's that went on. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's obviously it's, it's not much of a damn indictment on Kenny if it's someone that he's, he's speaking so um, so highly on. Where. I think his future right? his short term future anyway Damien Dukes will be in Ireland uh, whether that be at League of Ireland level he's still at Shelbourne as you said as, as um you know Seven days head coach because when he was with Celtic his family and didn't move over with him so I think he, he seems to want to be in, in, in into Irish football but yeah he's obviously someone that he respects even Kenny but just walking under the F wasn't something that he really wanted to do and it just what was he was not meant to be and the, even in fairness to him the whole way the video game was handled was just completely blown out of proportion so you can't understand why he was annoyed the way that got leaked out and the way that was handled but as they said to see him leave and months after the issue it, it's just a strange it is a strange one I wonder if there's a little bit more to listen than what i are seen because obviously Damien Duff is someone that's uh, you know he, he likes his principles and everything but his time the time it was pretty strange I have to say
0: yeah, well, he's, he, he's left Rovers, then he left Celtic, now he's left Ireland. He's a bit of a moody character. Is he, is he just someone who's going to find it hard to to work, you know, under other, other people? Like, would he find it hard to be a manager? Because, you know, things don't always go the way you want them to go. You can't, you can't jump ship at the first sort of sign of, of I don't know, hardship.
2: Yeah, and I wouldn't mind, I was going to say this to one of the lads earlier. I was like, for someone like everyone, everyone that's ever coached with him or that is coach that's coached underneath him, like he's coached, as all said, he's, he's brilliant, he's very good at what he does. But for someone that is relatively new in the coaching game, yeah, he's had a number of jobs already. Now, look, you could see he left Shamak Barber to go for Celtic because that's a bigger offer. He looks like it's a bigger club and he's probably excited by that. Then he left Celtic to come home to Dublin because of family reasons. So you can sort of see why he's left his certain clubs. But yeah, you would look at, at the issue of he's been at four four, sorry, four jobs now and a pretty short amount the time for the coach. So it'd be strange to see because like I said he, he wouldn't I don't know I don't really know Like even and not he does come across as pretty like very heavy in the principles and he, he believes in, in what he does and if, if someone is going to rat his cage a little bit, maybe it could be an issue that he does uh, jump ship. like it's the force sign of trouble. But I think you'll really be able to gauge with, with the next one. Like He seems to be happy enough for Shelbourne. That's what he seems to want to be doing. It's is, is the club at an underage level and developing younger stars. So I think it would be a bad sign if he does jump ship from Shelbourne in, in the near future. I think that's when you really able to say, yeah, he's it's just, it's just someone that can't stay at a job for a long time.
0: Dave, what could the FAI have done differently if they did or didn't investigate the claims? There was always going to be a hiding
1: from someone, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I tend to agree with you there. But at the same time, you know, how it was dealt with and how it was handled is, is something that we're not going to know. Like, yeah, we know the top lines and the, as in, we know the headlines that they're looking into it. And stuff, but how did they look into it? Did somebody really try to, remember what we said before, it, was somebody trying to push him out, as in Kenny? where the, the, the way we, there, there could potentially be this in the camp within the FBI who probably want a bigger name. Yeah, yeah, somebody trying to push, we use this as an excuse to push him and that's what Duff really didn't like? Was it the fact that it was just purely on the video? I doubt it. I'd say there was a bit more to it with somebody within there who's thinking, here's our chance. Let's get a bigger name in for more commercial reasons, not necessarily for the right reasons. Um, So I'd say there's probably, that's the real element of what probably pissed stuff off and not the fact that they actually looked into it. I'd say somebody's seen a chance to, to have a pop, a, a potentially shift in Kenyan and I'd say that's probably potentially where he knows the sneakiness and the, the back end. I'm sure a lot of us over the Christmas for the Red Champagne football, there's plenty of it that goes on with the I think. Like, so it wouldn't have been a straightforward uh, investigation. There definitely would have been political the political moves off the back of it I can imagine until Robbie went screw this but do I really
0: want to be around this you know yeah well I'm I'm, I'm hoping there's more to it than, than just what we have heard mm-hmm. so far but Nathan who would you like to see to get the job Or Robbie Keane is still getting paid money should he be just slotted in there straight away I know Stephen Kenny uh, has said that there's not really a position for him there who else do you get John O'Shea's name has been branded about what, what does John yeah. O'Shea bring
2: yeah, look, obviously, the first one that came to my mind was Robbie Keane, but the one that seemed to pop up straight away, as you said, was John O'Shea. Uh, of the he's involved now with the Under-21s and he's the first team coach at, uh, at Reading. So, look, he's, he obviously, he's like, like Damien Duff, he, he'll bring the experience of being around the camp and being around an Ireland squad of a very experienced um, player at uh, international level and it's the captain. So, well, that's what he really brings. He'll be he respected by... By, by the younger players not by any players in general but I think they are looking at coaches looking at the standard of coaching by what people are saying Damien Duff seems to be at that bit of a higher level and was more regarded as a coach no disrespect to John O'Shea he's, he's only doing his coaching badges at reading at the moment but I think getting John O'Shea in would seem to be a step down by, by is, everybody seems to be playing by all the guards and another one actually that I was yeah, just we had chatted about this and I was looking up about know, people that could come in and uh Lee Carvey's name also got gotten mentioned around. So dunno, that'd be another tr strange for me. Like, I think he's he's in the new setup now at the moment. And I know at the start of his career, he expressed interest in the FEI, saying that he'd like you know probably go in and begin his coaching and and guess get involved in the uh, the Irish setup somewhere and the F. I apparently passed him off and he said no, he oh, he's, he's gonna a little, a, uh, sorry, yeah,
1: uh, Nathan, I think he is a part of the coaching back of a lot of the English players who were playing for her and he has his hands on many a player who played with her and, and then all of, it, all of a sudden ended up back in the England jersey
2: yeah because I know he's a, he's a definite coach at the 20s but he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, yeah. well, he's involved a lot of the player development and the youth development mm. so yeah he could be someone that because like, that relationship that they're willing to, to mend but so I don't know if it's broken relationship or not but there was obviously a reason why the FBI said no you, you, you can't be coaching with us so I don't know if that the relationship to be mended, and it's going to have to be a pretty good offer as well so to get him away from the English setup. I'm sure he's um, he's, getting, he's, he's comfortable enough um, at that setup, so it's going to have to be a good offer to bring him over, um, and to be more stressful obviously working with the senior team as well. There's much more that goes into it. Yeah. You know, like scouting and
0: meeting, everything. Dave, Dave, do you reckon he 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 uh, he was a bit underhanded? Is there something there?
2: No, apparently,
1: like his knowledge of the, uh, the like the English-born players who were playing with Ireland, and he was fairly influential. At, I can't remember exactly what years, but open open till a couple of years. there was a Stephanie story of a few players who well, there's been many players over the years who have gone who play for Ireland, and all of a sudden uh, that raises their profile, and they end up back at England again, or they start, or they end up playing for England because obviously they missed the 15, 16 vote, But he was good at recruiting some of the back, allegedly. Let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it at
0: that because you don't want to go any further because you have no evidence. Okay. <laughs>
1: there were strong stories up until a couple of years ago, but obviously that that's has gone a bit dead in the water. So, it, as I said, it, it just it just jumped back into me into my brain when when you mentioned Garvey because I said Garrett Farley yesterday, and then I, I realized I actually said it wrong. It actually was me, Garvey, who was the who apparently a, was good at getting some boys back across England. Yeah.
0: The John O'Shea thing, Dave. John O'Shea is as as Nathan said he's he's only on a, on his journey into the coaching world now that's not really someone you want to be set up inside your your international force side surely. Uh, would someone maybe like a a, a Rene mulstein or something like that someone who's highly regarded in the coaching world. Would they be not be better off looking maybe outside the Irish? John O'Shea probably just hasn't got the levels yet. Maybe there's someone else yeah. in the Irish is set up that they do feel like that is on par with Damien Duff or, or, or even an, a higher level than Damien Duff. But should they look outside and, and, and really try and get a top-class uh, coach in?
1: Yeah, like I definitely think experience should be the key. Like There's definitely the Keith Andrews is in there already. O'Shea is only starting, and, and to be honest, leading there and let him air in the spores, so to speak. Um, doff even something similar. Like, what's the point in getting in somebody the exact same? Like, I think is there going to be a general? Was Duff and Andrew's going to be lined up to be general? Um, like yeah. as in natural successes to Kenny? I don't think so. So, why should they? Why should they go down that route again? I definitely would go with a bit of experience. So, if there's nobody with the Irish connection and not around, I would have no issue with as you said, people like your Renny Mullenstein or whoever's available. I would certainly have no issue with that. It's just whether Kenny would want that is a different story. But personally, I would go there. I would like the, the, the should, should he
0: should he look for someone like that, someone experienced?
1: Um, potentially, but maybe for him as well, he might be a bit worried to do something like that because if it's not going right, will he feel a bit undermined and
0: insecure? In do you think he'd be insecure?
1: No, I don't think so. But that's what people like me or you, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not even me and you. But I'd be worried. I, I've no faith in the FBI, Like as in. I'd be worried that if if things don't go well, Geez, we have a half decent coach here. We we'll just talk him out and let him finish it off. And if he can turn it around, we can. get like I, I genuinely believe that, 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 that with stuff like that, I'd be a bit worried about it. But he shouldn't, personally.
0: Yeah. So John, o, John, John, John O'Shea John say it is. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Okay, we leave that there. I'm sure there's going to be more that comes out about that one. Dave Michael Oliver had an interview with the Mail on Sunday, and it turned out to be a very interesting read. Yeah, it
1: was very um, refreshing to hear some of the stuff, and obviously the the, the, the famous uh, incident with with, Pick, uh, with Pickford and. Just and go, White, just go White through, Pickle.
0: just go through it for anyone who hasn't hasn't read the
1: yeah. article. So, long story short, it's very rare to get a referee uh, on an interview. Um, and quite refreshing they're very much the main bullet points obviously there was stuff about himself and obviously he's made some mistakes over the years and this that, and the other massive Newcastle fan and this that, and the other but the main bullet points is very much it's here to stay he's happy with it because he, as he said he still gets to make decisions um, regardless it just kind of solidifies his opinion of what he's seen um, and he basically said you're going to have to get used to it and we're all going to have to evolve because as soon as we take it away, that first Saturday, there's going to be a penalty decision and everyone's going to give out that if I had been here, they would have got it. So it's one of these where let it grow, let it develop, because then the next part of the piece came up about uh, the handball rule and they found that it was very much, it was far too punishing. So obviously they grounded off the corner. So he's using that as the example to say, look, we'll, we'll get there kind of thing. Um. And he said uh, other advantages of VAR as well is that there's not as much holding in the penalty areas because they're very afraid, obviously, that the VAR will pick it up and obviously the lads are getting more aware of it. And then he said players are not complaining nowhere near as much now. There's a lot more of a, not necessarily a respect, but they kind of accept the decisions more now because they know that there's going to be a second look at some of the bigger decisions. So that's kind of the general gist of the VAR side of things. But in relation to... The, the Virgil van Dyke incident. Like when you're listening to it and you look at the, the, the points of the, the incident broken down, you can kind of see why Pickford got away with it and, and, and why it kind of they were more obsessed as as he said it was supposed to be offside with the cross where long story short he said if it was offside I'm not given the penalty. It's as simple as that. Um and once they redeemed it to be offside they moved on so it was quite a natural reaction to go right that's grand but he said obviously looking back it was definitely a, a, a sending off offense he could have and should have but he was more interested in the fact of the offside because he definitely thought it was a penalty because he caught him but he didn't really look at the severity of the tackle and I'm like yeah, I can live with that and I can get that and somebody else I think it was with the Athletic and that was where the comment and that's why I brought it up where they don't think you should be listening to them for the whole 90 minutes but if you're listening in the deliberations with the VAR, we could have walked away from that whole pick for Van Dyke thing months ago and got, and got away from it very quickly because see, that's what they were looking at. And they just genuinely sound like they missed it because they were obsessed with whether it was offside or not. Because if it wasn't offside, they have to get the penalty. And that's what he was focusing on. And he kind of moved away from the tackle. So in my opinion, it makes sense, and I can live with that, and I can get on with it. Today, another, it's either. a bit it
0: worrying, so fast, Dave. It? Isn't it a bit worrying, though, that mm. they're, they're so focused on the offside? I mean, there's t- there's t- two of them looking at the, yeah. the VAR, the replays. Well, he actually yeah. didn't go over and have, have a look at it, but he's seen it first off. But there's two commentators mm. in who had looking at the same thing, and all they talked about was the tackle. Uh, so you, yeah, it, it's worrying okay. It's worthy and well, that they were so focused on on the offside.
1: Yeah, but, well, ultimately it was because it, it, they seemed to be a penalty, and as he said, they just didn't dwell on it. And I'm not, I'm not defending him either, really, but I can get mm-hmm. it because I'm we for fucking human. Um, and he was more important. He was thinking probably that the penalty is more important than anything else. So therefore, make sure it's, it, it, it's an offside or not. And the VAR spent over a minute on whether it was and once they deemed it was offside obviously he probably just went right off we go now obviously as you said he never went over and had a look at the tackle so if he had been looking at the tackle obviously he probably couldn't look at it the same time as, as the other as the know. It. so it, it was kind of like two decisions in one and they only really looked at one of them and as I said I'm not defending it but I can kind of understand how that can happen and you're trying to keep it quick like, they're not spending following five minutes on it. They're probably trying to keep a quick right? off, like, great, Grant, no penalties, let's move on. I under, I, I, can see how that happens, regardless of what we think. But I think if we hear the deliberations like you do in other sports, I think, like, the debate on Barr wouldn't be quite as as um, fanatical as they have been at times, you know?
0: Or more so. <laughs> it depends what they're more saying. More <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Nathan, so... Uh, Michael Oliver, you don't hear referees commenting about anything once they're, I suppose, they're still refereeing. So uh, I suppose it's a bit of fresh air to hear them talk about whether you agree or you don't agree with them. What do you make of what he said? And it does it come down to just a lack of experience with VAR when you see the the, the rugby guys break down every single thing well this will be a penalty if this that and the other has happened and they've kind of seen this before where the, the referees and the football and, and VAR have just you know they're, they're they're only learning
2: this game Yeah look I know it's, um, it can be frustrating for fans like, but yeah you do have to take a little bit of sympathy with them but, like, I know they would have been looking at VAR he didn't just get thrown into the deep end but you still learn that on the fly and learn the in a, in a match situation is it, going to be completely different. So you do want to take a little bit of that into, uh, into your thinking. But yeah, it just overall, it was just, look, you can debate like how from home there was a whole incident in itself. But it, well, it was just nice to hear a bit of uh, a bit of transparency and a bit of, you know, just fairness to Michael Oliver. I, I don't remember a referee ever coming out and holding his hands up and nobody, uh admitting to a mistake, so... In terms of, that is always, um, it's, it's a nice thing to see I know it's, it's three months or so too late but just to see them coming out and, and just being open and honest it, it's, it's uh, good to see I don't know about you but well, it would be, I know referees have to be impartial and, and the best sort of referees are invisible you know like how many times they you give out saying no, referees are trying to make the games about themselves but like, what would you think would be realistic if you could get referees to possibly do you know some interviews after the game like players and managers able to go through some of the key decisions uh,
1: straight after game I, I'm not necessarily I wouldn't be a big advocate of it to be honest and I think I would. I, like the fact that they're mic'd up and you can hear what they're talking about I, I'm not saying that should be enough but they don't really do in other sports either but at the same time I think you don't have to because you know exactly what they're talking about so I'd say if we heard a little bit more maybe not necessarily but certainly for the really big, big instances I don't necessarily see why but Maybe it should come from the, the – the, I, I don't think they should. I think there should be a bit of a an invisible wall between them. And that doesn't mean they should get away with things. And I suppose there should be a bit of transparency and something. But I think the first step for me, for me would be we should be able to hear them when they're talking over variants. Over
0: yeah no, I'm I'm, yeah, thought, I'm in agreement. Yeah, that you need to have you need to have them mic'd up and you need to be able to hear what's going on because on too many occasions there's people are left you know dumbfounded by uh, especially with VAR now at the moment there there's so many yeah. wrong as we see it incidents and you'd love to know how they came to the conclusion that they did. So yeah, it's it it's an interesting one but uh
1: I I think it will I
0: think it will go down that route.
1: Yeah, just just his exact quote on it just which might make it a bit more clear as well. He basically said we've all myself included not thought about the challenge as much as we should have done. We could still have given offside and sent Pickford off. What I was surprised about looking at it afterwards was that nobody or that nothing was expected on the field in terms of red cards. None of the players were asking for it we got sucked too much into going step by step as opposed to thinking of the bigger process which was considering the challenge as well and not just the fact it can't be a penalty. We should have restarted with the offside as we did but with a different punishment for Pickford.
0: Well, that's fair enough. The he's owner is holding up his hand so... We uh, we we let him on with that one, I suppose. But that again, you, we you do. I, I don't I don't think what Nathan was saying could work, or suggesting uh, could it work? I don't think it could work at the end of a game. You know, everyone's so hyped up, and you know, referee hasn't yeah. got a chance to look back at it, and you know, it's just. I think you just kind of have to you leave it at that. But if they're mic'd up, you're gonna get an explanation, and you'll know whether he's right or wrong by, you know, them talking and 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 it, it does he it doesn't have to be even mic'd up, you know, he doesn't have to be on all the time. and he, you only listen to them yeah. when there's the crucial decisions and what have you. So I think it will come in eventually. I think it's needed badly. So it was FA Cup weekend and there was a few cup upsets, notably Leeds getting knocked out by Crawley 3 0 and Blackpool knocking out West Brom. Dave That led to John Nicholson to write an article claiming the gap between the Premier Division and the lower league wasn't really that big. What else did he say and what did you make of the article?
1: Yeah, like obviously I've seen it through Twitter where Danny Baker just wholeheartedly agreed with every single word of it and uh, Gary Lineker quite categorically went down the other way. So there's no surprise there that Danny Baker's a Millwall fan and very much more in the Championship League 1 level and Gary Lineker would have been very much at the league level so he obviously would would uh, kind of uh, beg to differ. But the headline basically was, the FA Cup shows PL money gap dwarfs the skill gap. So he's saying the bigger gap is with the money and not necessarily the skill. So it's an interesting one, and it's an interesting article. It was basically about three paragraphs that really kind of hit home because I find there is a bit of a, I find there's there's a, a strong truth in it to an extent um, but he basically says his overarching point here is that many players who play for most top flight sides are over precisely because of the fact of, uh, that they play for a top flight side. Because so much money is paid for so many of them in transfer fees and wages, we assume this is concomitant with being consistently great at football, understandably feeling that if they were not, no one would pay a penny for them. But we can say very clearly in the third round of the FA Cup that this view. Very limited test. So, the truth is more typically that there are relatively few brilliant footballers who are in a different class, and the rest ride on the back of those players' reputation. Benefit disproportionately from that brilliance and bask in their golden light. Take those fantastic players out of the team, and suddenly the make weights look more like the lower league players. I just thought that was a great two paragraph that does kind of have a semblance, but just exactly where in the Premier League is what I find interesting can you wholeheartedly say there's an 8 in, in say Man City and Liverpool there's probably not that many but I I like what he's saying because I do genuinely believe that for certain players or certain groups of teams in, in the Premier League um, and uh, yeah I just think it's great it's it's a very interesting read
0: Nathan does he have a point that there's plenty of adre- average players playing and are made look really good when they're playing out with the standout players in the league
2: yeah of course, to a certain extent yeah Um yeah, look, it was, it was... I don't necessarily agree with him, but, like, and it's, and it's very to it was a good read, and he did weigh some interesting points, like, but... I don't know. It's just, like... One thing, like, he looked at as well was that, um, he was going on, you know, like, if someone makes mistakes, uh, someone is like, if a uh, Premier League player, uh, like, has a body from 20 years out and it goes over, we all marvel at the skill of, of that, but if... Uh, Lower league player doesn't hit it all, but we thought you know we joke and say, oh, "What was he doing that for?" And just things like that, I didn't just didn't really agree with. Like no one, no one's doing that. Like how often have we even seen a player step up uh league and go around these brilliant players and just not adapt to that level? So there were certain things like you know, it's weird to look at some of the comments underneath and they we were pretty scathing towards it. I didn't think it was that bad of a of a point that it to be made, but no, I wouldn't really uh, agree with what you have to say. It just for a, a, a reason there's a lot of guys that are down in the lower leagues that just, just can't make the step up I know you can look at things like, like the coaching and the fitness is always better in the higher league that always, always come back to money because of better facilities and better standard coaching and things like that but yeah, I just think it simply goes down because there is players in the lower league that just aren't good enough we could be talking small margins there but when you get to the top level then small margins are, are, are very big Is
0: Is there a case to say that players like Who will I go with? Dan James, say, for Manchester United, Mm -hmm. where he's not setting the world alight. He's doing an okay job, but he wouldn't be out of touch in playing in the Championship either, would he?
2: No, no. There's a real course of players at these top clubs. Like you want to keep going at Manchester United. You have someone like Jesse Lingard as well, it was said, but the longest time is is a lower league, lower Premier League team at this level, and that's our best. So, of course, in can go to all the, cl- the top clubs. Um, yeah, Dan James is a golden pair. We come from a side from Swansea and, and done very well at Swansea too. and just has just struggled with the step-up in competition and the step-up in class, even with all these great players around him.
0: Dave, can you name anyone else who you might think that John Nicholson might be talking about? <laughs>
2: uh
1: I'd say he's probably talking about most of the league side when they took out the one or two star players the weekend. I'd say he's talking about most of them. Uh, I think Luke Ailey would be massive. I, I just <laughs> don't get him. Uh, fourth, I'd go with Harry Wink. i go with
2: I heard uh, Harry and I go, no way. He's not going to say it. I just heard him saying Harry was like,
1: "We'll <laughs> Harry Kane, Harry. Harry Kane will put it in. Harry Kane will put it in the back of the net with any team. It doesn't matter what level." <laughs> but so like, yeah, Harry Winks now is on. his rumored to be going to Valencia, and you're like, "Good luck to him." But I don't get it. I don't see it. Ah, look, I think, I think for me, I agree to some extent uh, in the sense that I've always said it to you, uh, Roy, and you won't be surprised, but there's players everywhere and there's players in League 2 and in League 1 and in Championship. You can play in the Premier League, but because they're in League 1 and League 2 and Championship, they don't get the, they don't get looked at. So your Liverpools and Man United and all these are going to be looking at Paris and Real and Barcelona and the top of it, all these other leagues for players instead of... There's a guy in League 2 who I... Like, say, for example, at the moment, Liverpool are struggling for a centre-half. I guarantee you, if in Championship in League 1, League 2, there's a guy who can plug in a hole. And it cost might cost him ten million, but I guarantee you he'd probably in a hole for six months. And you never know; he could end up being the fourth. Instead of them moaning that they can't get anyone and they're too expensive, yeah, well, stop going to Paris and Barcelona, Paris you know. That's where I like looking at this because, in that sense, there's there's a gap in in opinion, as I suppose, is why I'm intrigued. But and a bit like what he said, like when there's a shot over the prior oh, that's a great piece of skill, but like, when somebody in the lower league do it, oh, that's a plucky shot from, from him, and there is a bit of an element to that, and there is a bit of a, uh, for example, say when Mo Salah came back to England, I showed, he was shy. Why? because he was shy three years ago at Chelsea, when well, you look at his numbers in Italy, and they're very impressive, because there is a bit of an ignorance, and it, it depends on what, so like, who they look at your name, and then they see the club you're attached to, and then, oh, he must be good, you know, Um like a bit like Louis Barry, Louis Barry got Ireland caps, and all of a sudden his stock went up, and then he got noticed by Barcelona, and then England bring him in, and now all of a sudden everyone's going to start talking about him. But that's how it can happen so quickly in football. There's a, a bit of a bluffing element, but that's what I love, and that's what I'm, I'm I'm intrigued about. That there is a there isn't a huge gap between the average players in the Premier League and the rest of the other leagues, in my opinion. I don't think there is. I think there is a huge element of luck. And there is players who definitely get overplayed because of who they're with and who else is in it. And I I enjoy that element of the article because I'm not saying it's 100% true, but I definitely think that there isn't a huge gap between a good stock of players within the Premier League. And, for example, I suppose, as I said with Liverpool, there's there's a centre-half somewhere that we can fill a hole in and, and be okay for six months, because... As I said, the big boys have to deal with the big boys and no one else. And I find that very frustrating when there's there's plenty of talent out there. And certainly at home here, lads, I've said it many times, there's plenty here as well. So uh, that's why I enjoyed it mostly, because it was interesting that, as I said, Danny Baker running the mill, he wholeheartedly agrees, but then the the elite Gary Lindegas, not not a danger.
0: Nathan, has it always been this way, though? Hasn't it always been just that those type of players in in the Premier League, or the First Division, as it was called then, those teams always just had those pl- quality players that just, you know, give that team, say a Liverpool a Man United, maybe an Everton, even back then, that extra little something that got them out of trouble all the times when they were going away in these FA Cup uh, results. You, you you very rarely see the six and seven and eight nils. They're 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 normally quite tight games.
2: Yeah, which is yeah, the fairness is good, but One thing you can look at, even like it's. Yeah, but a side like Liverpool or Manchester United, the, the Leafs side, in theory, yeah, so the, the reserve team should be good enough to be rolling these teams over. Well, in fairness, even the even in the third round of so the weekend, there was, there was a couple of teams there that they put it up to them. Like I was watching the um, the Newport and game, uh yesterday, and the truth there was, there was a decent enough side so put out there. But on paper, there should be enough of these Premier League talents to be decent it's important for at unless you made high out of it and just the about, build just those so yeah, um I think it's just that was exciting as well like like you say, there's growing demand where it's exciting for fans to, to see a club go over and and be taking players from you know it could be from Madrid or paris or whatever, and where you see it's it's probably a decent player coming up as, like Dave said i mean definitely great there's a lot of good talent down in the championship on I mean lower leagues and that and even in the League of Ireland you go on about it all the time but I just think for fans it can be more exciting to see these big name players coming into these big name clubs compared to someone coming up to say for example the QPR or something uh, just find a friend up the championship or something like that it's just interesting the way it is now unfortunately but there is there is definitely good talent down in the, in the lower leagues
0: OK it's time for Transfer Talk <laughs> Dave, Felipe Anderson. Tell us all about him. What's going on?
1: Well, the two reasons why I brought him up. One, I didn't even realise he went to Porto. That completely went under the radar. I just thought he'd been injured. I didn't realise he left West Ham. Uh, he's currently on loan with them. And uh, Everton, uh, considering a move for the 27-year-old Miss Villa, um, who was currently on loan at, at Porto from West Ham. So I got excited going, hmm, I didn't even know he was at Porto. So <laughs> uh, I've always been a fan of him, full of pace. Uh, to grab a goal or two definitely it's it's a bit like what we just said previously I think he's I think he's better than what he's been at West Ham I think it depends on I think what Everton have can bring him up to where I think he could and should be if you know what I mean it'll it'll definitely spark his interest definitely some players obviously a a lot of the South American uh, element there and um, Angelotti would be fairly familiar with him from back being in Italy So I think it could be a, a nice fit if somehow Everton were to get it over the line now that's not to, to say he's been a bad player at West Ham but I just thought he was a little bit above them as much as what we were talking about previously I just think he was maybe a cut up above West Ham but I think it'd be a nice fit at Everton if they could do some business
0: Why didn't it happen for him at West Ham then?
1: Um, I, I, just, I just think I personally I thought he was a step ahead a bunch Um like You've Andy Carroll there and stuff like that and I'm not being smart I'm not a big fan of Antonio either you know he's out in the wing he's kind of pacey he's creative but I just felt there was times where I don't know some players have they play a certain way but it just doesn't match what's around them and that's not being the direct of what's around him or even to him I just some players I just didn't think this, for whatever reason his style or whatever the way he plays I just thought he was just on a different wavelength whether that means he was better or not I'm not gonna kinda of really stick me out on that, but I just didn't I could see his flashes but they just never seem to marry well with the rest of the boys, And certainly not with uh Moise's current uh, you know he likes his uh, hard working kinda of up and out kind of boys and hard work first and then skill second. Um, so obviously it it could be it could be a great fit for him to go to Everton.
0: Nathan, how he fit in at Everton? They have a few decent yeah. forward players at the moment. Does he go up in there and a bit like Jota, you know, he has to go in there and be on fire or else he's going to be a squad player?
2: Yeah, he certainly doesn't walk into that team anyway because um, going forward, there's been a lot of tidy players there. So, you you can probably look at someone like Alex Oroby, who's been, been playing on the right-hand side the past couple of weeks on paper. believe the answer is probably the better player. But yeah, he'll have to sort of go in, maybe even by time for a couple of weeks. Because Everton certainly lacking for their uh, talent, and I know even I think there's AC Milan were looking at him too. So, so that be probably be a, more of a, a better option for him? Like they don't have to see the my suit and more I'm not sure. but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be under any illusions by trying to walk into that Everton team and take over. No way.
0: Okay, what's going on, Nathan, with Josh King?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm speaking to Everton myself because the uh, former striker strike Josh King is looking certainly the wrong to the Premier League. In fairness, it, 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 the man is in demand. The likes of Newcastle, West Ham, Woods, West Brom, and even Manchester United have all the linked with the player over the past month, coming up to the January transfer window. Uh, but in fairness, Everton have come out to be the most likely uh, candidate to sign the 28-year-old. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be involved in a swap deal with Josh King going into Everton and uh, Everton right back John Joe Kenny going straight into Bournemouth which in fairness to Bournemouth you seem happy with with, with the mills To the does doesn't make much sense I don't think that's fair straight spot I think you'd have to put a fee for that as well but he's, um, he just hasn't got gone this season at all in the championship he hasn't scored um, in eight appearances and by all accounts he just he's unsettled he just he wants out and he wants to return at the time of the lake a quick, couple of quick little stats on his day of And um, 48 goals 14 assists in 161 Premier League appearances. Look, it's not the, the most glamorous uh, record uh, striker, but I'm sort sure, of like, everything, I think, likely by Anderson, if he's going to go with everything, he's not going to walk into that starting 11. I think, more likely, he could be a backup to cover uh, Lewin. Or again, he, he's pretty versatile. He can play on the left-hand side as well, so he could slot in there, but, yeah, it'd be a good, for for everything to get somebody in as a backup, for I think if Josh Keane is looking for 14 football, I don't know if this is the news to be making. Well, we'll talk
0: about the best signing of the January transfer window and that's Kazuyoshi Mori, who has signed a one-year contract extension with Yokohama <laughs> FC. The 53-year-old who plays 36th season as a professional footballer. He was actually a late developer making his debut for Santos in 1986 at the age of 19 and he turns 54 next month. When the J League starts again. It's there's there's still time, Dave.
2: Ah, oh, listen,
1: have a
0: boost, we'll travel, boys. I, I, I always said it growing up, there's definitely a country you'll be stupid enough to take me. Just something that's coming through there Meza Uzel is talking up a, a move to Turkey. He said if he was to move, if I went to Turkey, it would only be to Fernabachi. So it looks like that that one is probably going to go through before the end. And Dave, you wouldn't be surprised if he's still gonna get his money, and Arsenal are probably gonna to have to pay the, the the extra little bit to the end of the season. But they'll still be saving money. I was looking at the numbers. I think it was three hundred and fifty thousand. There's talk that Fernabachi might give him a hundred thousand a week, and Arsenal will probably have to pick up the, the other two hundred and fifty thousand. But if they keep him, they be uh, if they didn't keep him, they they save two million on keeping them. So um, you know, I can see that coming through. What do you think?
1: Yeah, what I would do is like, like somebody, like no matter what you think of him, he shouldn't be rotting away in a sand and, and for his benefit, get out there and, and, and his close somewhere else. But yeah, just yeah, save a few quid and get him out off your off your um, off your books for a while because obviously he's piped up in the last few weeks and, obviously when Arsenal were struggling, and people were starting to climb up. One or two fans were kind of oh maybe you should get him in and kind of forgot the bad times. I know you remember the good times, which is very rare. I think it was the first four or five months of his career, and that was it. Um, so yeah, go on. And and he's and very well, uh, well uh, he knows that he knows Turkey inside out, obviously, obviously with a Turkish background and been over there and yeah, it it's an ideal scenario for him. And you might see how it'll actually get single out and do something for a change.
0: Yeah, and he still has a few years left. He's not finished at all by yeah. any means, you know, he's still in early thirties, thirty two, so he still has a few seasons left in him. So you would think now that he'd want to get out there and play football. He's made he's made his money, and in actual fact, he hasn't done anything wrong. He is there. He's going training. You know, he's just not getting picked. So you know, he's honouring his contract. Um, maybe people will say that he's probably not working hard and blah blah. But that's the type of player that he was. Anyhow, I think. I think he was always sort of. I think Wenger turned around and said, "If you want to have uh, Ozil in your team, you have to expect that he's going to not going to be working as hard." off the ball but yeah. on the ball he'll create uh, that little bit of magic so that's the gamble you're taking with him ok Dave I'm going to leave you with this one Liverpool uh, they have a little bit of a crisis in the back line do they get someone or do they not
1: by the end of January he seems to be soundbiting that they're not um, to be honest um, I personally would like to I think the, the proof is in the pudding as, as I said last week we saw uh, actually two weeks ago about Williams and, and Phillips the very basics of the game, as in long balls with tops, that big lads are well able to win headers and make the battles. but between the two of them, they haven't even got, they haven't announced a pace between them, and you see seen what happened, Louis Barry had three or four yards behind him, and he was he was within second within a second or two, he was in front of him, for, for the great goal he took away on Friday, so, you know, I'd be very worried the longer they play, and especially if they play next, or this Sunday, coming up, or is a Sunday I think against United, Um. They, they, eat them up and swallow them up. The, the two of them can, no, neither two of them could be on the field, in my opinion, because Sasha, so sure, no matter whether he's a good manager or not, anyone more than saw would know, let's get at them and put the quickest man on top of them. So I would like to see somebody, I uh, just, just to fill in the gap. I don't know. I haven't really heard too much or seen too many players who are in the kind of 30s the tourie coming here and the contracts to kind of get in because that's all I want is somebody in particular like what we did with Colatore or what Chelsea done with Jarrett so you can get somebody in with a bit of experience and get six months out it might be delighted but the, the most of the the talk is that they're not going to or if anyone that they've looked at they've been uh, overpriced and because they know they're desperate
0: Nathan, Manchester United got Diallo in in the transfer window what's he going to bring to the team is he going to make an impact straight yeah. away or is he going to have to wait Is a... There...
2: Yeah, look, I think we're going to have to just wait and see with this one. He's only played something like 100 minutes of football uh, over in Syria. Uh I This is definitely going to be one for the future and see how he gets on. I wouldn't even mind to see him go, if far as he even came over, I probably would have even let him stay in Atalanta for um, the remainder of the season, but, Oh, there's people online say i got to know my 19 jersey he, he might be involved in the first team but I don't know how much stock you put in, 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 the, in, the, in the jersey numbers anymore but yeah for me I, I wouldn't be expecting him to come in straight away and to, to, to be doing an awful lot he's living around the first team great to get a couple of cameo appearances off the bench getting used to the used to playing the Premier League and things like that he doesn't seem the biggest guy so he's going to have to obviously, speak up a little bit but he's only 19 so that's there, but that can all be done but yeah for me I wouldn't be expecting that too much from the lad straight away but see yeah, how he gets on but apparently he's, he's a point spark. I haven't seen much of him I only would have seen him playing the Champions League and he looked decent enough so definitely won the wait right and see and he could be one for the future
0: OK Dave what's the, what's the result going to be in Liverpool United at the weekend? and the
2: week
0: after by the way oh and the FA Cup oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, mind yeah, one, yeah. One, don't mind that one don't mind that one don't mind that Mickey Mouse Cup Mickey Mouse uh,
1: Cup yeah <laughs> so yeah, well, for the next few weeks it's uh, like because even the build-up will be first in the kitchen then the game's over, they got a ground, they can relax again. And now we have to do it again for another week. So two weeks in a row, this is all Yeah, this game is usually always a time cost. I'll be, I'll, I'm going to have to be honest, I'm, I'm weary of it because I think, you know, it's attacking game can really get at Liverpool at the moment. Like, uh, Alexander Ireland, we haven't been talking since, but, you know, we talked about it a few times. He was shocking against Southampton and he is known to be vulnerable in the back and I think you know you would exposed that on one or two occasions last year um, and you don't know who's going to be in in, in central defence you hope that there's at least a a, a thorough centre half in with Sabino because I don't think two centre midfielders is certainly not going to work if you've got somebody as clever as uh, Bruno Fernandes pulling the strings but definitely what you know you have going forward can really get at Liverpool so I think Liverpool, regardless of the side, are going to have to go the way they played against Spurs, which is the way they usually play. Um, generally, I've said, I think they've been protecting the back line. I think they've kind of to forget about it and pen United in and get at their weakness, which is defence. So,
2: yeah, nil I'll <laughs> <laughs> Nathan? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you like Dave as well. And sit the fence. I can, can't see it being a nil or draw. I can see it being a score draw. No. But we all, we all know that it's, it's vulnerable the um, the Liverpool defence is. But still, like even though you know it, they're on the decent run and a sitting second, and we could even go top before the fight before the game. Uh, I just don't know what it is. You don't know if you agree with me, Roy. it just have, it seems to have zero confidence in in any time they go to the Anfield, any time they come up against uh, you know like a, a top tier side and. I just don't know. I know Anfield is empty. It's completely juicy. a big factor. Is is a packed house. It's a packed Anfield. And they always create a hostile atmosphere. But yeah, I don't know. But I just, I'm quite really confident that United you know, can score against that defence. But he's just a little punch free. can always do damage to anybody. So yeah, I think I will go with it. probably 1 0 or a 2 0 draw. But yeah, you never know. I think it will feel there for the taking. But I just don't see it with United. It's just. I just
0: don't know what it is at the moment
2: it's, just, it's hard to get
0: confident yeah, I, so I just think I've been too many times over the years yeah, if I had money to put on them I'd probably put down the score draw the one all draw I think is probably the best one but uh, I'm going to go stupidly optimistic and a 3-0 win for United come on okay <laughs> I can't really lose (laughs) Okay, listen we're going to leave it there lads Uh, we will be back on again next week and actually after the Manchester United and Liverpool game we are going to do a review so we will have the both of you's back on we might even have uh, Mr Neil Dobbs on because he might
2: want to analyse it the way he likes to analyse things (laughs) Okay, talk to you lads